Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I am flying solo once again on this episode. Uh, thank you uh, all the listeners out there who sent very kind words um, regarding the last episode, uh, which was the uh, first attempt at me doing this by myself uh, with Mike Lee's Naked. Uh, yeah, that was very, uh, very kind and very enthusiastic, so I, I appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, Lee is still unavailable for this week, and uh, based on my track record with Godard films, I didn't exactly want to rope anyone in to do this one with me. Uh, Take from that what you will, I guess, and my thoughts on Godard. But, uh, yeah, so I'll be doing this one by myself, but before we get into this week's film... Uh, yeah, again, just wanted to say thank you for those kind words, uh, the listeners that kind of sent stuff in. That was lovely. And uh, yeah, final thoughts on Naked. I mean, it's a it's a great little film. I highly recommend checking it out, especially if you're interested in Mike Lee stuff. And uh, we got a couple of tagline submissions. Uh, With words as his weapons, tonight there will be no survivors. I really liked that one. <laughs> that was um from uh, Andrew over on Patreon, as well as when Johnny's holding court, everyone's guilty and there's no good behavior. Uh, very good ones that kind of sum up uh, Johnny and Mike Lee's naked. But yeah, before we uh, dive into this week's film, um, what have been some stuff that I've been watching lately? Opening up my letterbox here. Yes, for the... This was an odd one. I don't know why, but um, maybe a week or so ago, I just got... I don't know, I think I was tired or maybe hungover or something, and I just had a bug up my butt and was just like, I'm gonna, I'm in a romantic comedy mood. And so I put on one that I had actually never seen. It was a massive blind spot for me. I watched Four Weddings and a Funeral for the first time. Um, I'd all, like obviously always known about it. I remember when it first came out, it was a fucking big deal of a movie. I remember just, it was everywhere. Hugh Grant being uh, charmingly befuddled. Um, and shit, I mean, it even got a Best Picture nomination, as well as, um, I think, Richard Curtis getting a screenplay nomination at the Oscars. Like, big deal movie. Um, wasn't quite what I was expecting. I, it's, it's very good, don't get me wrong, but I um, I guess I was thinking it would be a, bit more, a little bit more of a kind of straightforward romantic comedy, something kind of more in line with the later Richard Curtis ones, stuff like Notting Hill and things, but... No, it was a lot kind of almost, I want to say, darker to some degree. And I guess my big, the big issue was it, with it is, like, obviously Hugh Grant, Kristen Scott Thomas, uh, John Hanna, uh, amazing from the Mummy films. Um, all of these people playing, like, these such rich and interesting characters. And then you've got Andy McDowell there playing woman. And that's the bit of a bummer about it. <laughs> and it's one where you're just kind of like, I don't get why you guys are falling in love. You're not really a character, but whatever, whatever. It, w- it was fun to finally watch that. Um, otherwise, I, yeah, anything else? I've been, like, diving into rewatch Children of Men, which is uh, happy to report that it is still a masterpiece. <laughs> um, yeah, that movie just does not, like... It doesn't fade with time at all. It's just always on point. Um, definitely, definitely my favorite um, 
of the uh, what am I trying to say of the Quaron films? I think it's you know it's pretty tough to beat. And this is a guy who is like has am- amazing filmography. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's been a pretty kind of thin couple of weeks for me. I think I've been uh, instead of actually watching movies, I was heading out to a lot of concerts actually. Um, here in Australia, we had there was the uh, big uh, international music festival, Splendor in the Grass which actually got rained out up in uh, northern up in Queensland there. But uh, a lot of the bands that were playing for that kind of came down to Melbourne and did a couple of sideshows and things. So I was uh, kind of very busy watching live music again, which is one of my other favourite things to do. And uh, on that note of music, I figure, fuck it, I'm going to shout out a record that I'm really, really digging at the moment. Um, if anyone's interested, uh, I highly recommend the album Janky Star by Grace Ives. I've been, uh, I don't know why, just really, really digging that one and playing it on repeat quite a bit. But yeah, otherwise, I'm just kind of gearing up for the Melbourne International Film Festival, which is kicking off next week. So it's been a lot of, uh, you know, hectically looking at phones and trying to sh- and calendars and trying to schedule everything in. Um, thankfully, due to my work, I've already managed to see quite a few of the films, like maybe about 10 to 15 of the films already, which is fantastic. I don't kind of have to, you know, worry. I kind of prioritize those ones, I guess, at the festival. So, um, yeah, it looks like I'll be doing a little bit less than I'd normally do, but it's still around, you know, 25, 26 films in two weeks. So, um We'll obviously have more info on that in the coming week or two when uh, I start doing my uh, Live From Myth episodes where we're actually going to be recording some episodes as the festival's going on from the festival hub and some of the cinemas and stuff just on the ground, watching movies, running between sessions, talking about what we're seeing. But yeah, so keep an ear out for all of that in the coming weeks. But for now, I guess it is about time that we dived into this week's film, which is, of course, Masculine Feminine by Jean-Luc Godard from 1966. With Masculine Feminine, ruthless stylist and iconoclast, Jean-Luc Godard introduces the world to the children of Marx and Coca-Cola through a gang of restless youths engaged in hopeless love affairs with music, revolution, and one another. French New Wave icon Jean-Pierre Le- Le- I always fuck up his name. French New Wave icon Jean-Pierre Leoud stars as Paul, an idealistic would-be intellectual struggling to forge a relationship with the adorable pop star Madeleine, real-life yee girl Chantelle Goya. Through their tempestuous affair, Goddard fashions a candid and wildly funny free-form examination of youth culture in pulsating 1960s Paris, mixing satire and tragedy as only Goddard can. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) So, regular listeners of the podcast, or ones that have been with us for quite a while, uh, will be very aware of my uh, mixed feelings on Goddard. I... He's a filmmaker that I definitely understand has a huge, huge place in the history of film, uh, in particular uh, world cinema, and obviously being a one of the pioneers of the French New Wave. He's a very important director, but a lot of his films don't connect with me. Um, I mean, a prime example of that would be uh, Tout va bien, which I think was the last film that we did of his. But, I mean, that all being said, there are some that I really do still enjoy. Um, obviously, like, Breathless and Band of Outsiders are fantastic. Uh, I have gone back since we did the episode on it a couple of years ago, 
and have revisited Contempt, which I quite like now. I, I really dig that one. And as far as masculine feminine goes, it's okay. It, it's okay. <laughs> it's not my usual, like, it's fine. It, it's okay. It's, it's a solid enough film that I think I found it more interesting than I did entertaining, if that makes sense. Um, it, it's a bit of an odd film. Like, when I was watching it, I found myself kind of wandering, wandering away from it, I guess, and not totally engaging. Um, but, I mean, that's pretty common with me and Goddard anyway, so, you know, that's <laughs> by the by. But after sitting with it and kind of reflecting on it for a couple of days before actually sitting down to record this, a lot of the small nuances of it um, kind of as a whole kind of started to emerge. And while I didn't really find it wholly satisfying... Uh, it did make the film kind of a bit more cohesively constructed for me. Um, I was able to kind of appreciate it for for its entirety, even though I didn't necessarily it didn't equal for me the sum of its parts. I know I'm like mixing a lot of metaphors here, but hopefully that I'm getting the point across. Um, yeah, my kind of breezy thoughts, I guess it, it's so I mean the first thing that's really evident is that this is a film about youth. Um as Godard like points out actually openly in the film it, he, you know there's the great bit of dialogue where it's the the children of Marx and Coca-Cola. And I think at another point they bring up I think refer to it as like the the generation of James Bond and Vietnam which um it it's something I mean as far as I'm uh, as far as I'm aware I mean I'm not obviously a Goddard scholar or anything this is really one of the first times that he's taking a an examination and wanting to actually explore youth and youth culture in particular what was kind of happening um around that time in the kind of mid 60s there in Paris um and it kind of I was actually looking over um Masculine, feminine, the young man of all times. The the essay that's included in the Criterion edition by Adrian Martin, and he actually br brings up that on its initial release, Goddard presented masculine, feminine as an act of reportage and an almost ethnographic account of social climate in the period leading up to the presidential election of December nineteen sixty five. Um, so it's really trying to pinpoint this specific time and place. Um, and how he presents that is in a series of vignettes. I believe it's 15 little kind of short scenes or vignettes throughout the film. And, uh, it's these moments of youthful life and we drop in and out of them like the character, we drop in and out of the characters' lives, uh, in these vignettes, catching small glimpses of them and their interactions. Um, some for better, some for worse. And interspersed between all of this, he kind of also interjects, uh, interjects, injects um, documentary-style uh, footage in there where he's actually conducting interviews with some of the kids and uh, having them... Yeah, I say kids, but they're, you know, 22, 23. Uh, and they're interviewing each other and kind of in character and out of character. And it really helps to give both, I think... I mean, obviously the audience, but I really think the primary figure for this is Goddard himself an idea of what this younger generation is all about. Um, I mean, at this time in his life and career, Godard, was, he turned 35 while they were making this film. And I believe he had just gone from the massive breakup with Anna Karina. Uh, you know, famously, they were together. And that kind of objective... I think that also... Adrian Martin in the essay kind of points out that that's something that 
probably led to kind of some of the more misanthropic and misogynistic tendencies of this film. I mean, being able to actually kind of, you know, the labeling of the genders there where it is literally the title of the film is masculine feminine. It's the examination of these two differences between these two gender subsects, I guess, or like through Goddard's eyes, I guess, what he's kind of imposing on that, the idea that men want to be poets and revolutionaries, whereas women want to be models and singers. I think that is a little bit kind of, you know, he's very simplistically viewing that, uh, you know, <laughs> placing his ideas of gender onto these characters and, and onto the youth, but what can you do, I guess? Um, the one thing that becomes clearer as the film progresses for me, though, is that uh, Goddard's eye is firmly focused on the awkward and the anxious elements of youth. Um, I mean, that's no better exemplified than with Jean-Pierre Laud, who, I mean, if you've been watching along in Criterion, you'd be immensely familiar with through his incredible Antoine Duanel film series done with uh, Francois Truffaut starting all the way back in the, in the 50s with 400 Blows. But interestingly enough, uh, Truffaut watched this film and found it incredibly uncomfortable. He actually said uh, he really didn't like the way that uh, Goddard handled uh, Laod and basically presented him on screen and said that it was in Masculine Feminine that I noticed for the first time how he could be filled with anxiety rather than pleasure at the notion of finding himself in front of a camera. Uh, that first scene in the cafe was a painful experience for anyone looking at him with affection and not an antagonistic eye. Um, yeah, so, but I think that's exactly what Goddard's going for. He's not interested in presenting the playful fairy tale youth that Truffaut is interested in presenting through Antoine Duanel. Instead, he's trying to capture this this reality, this this real nature of what is happening in youth at the moment. I mean, especially like both culturally and time and place of Paris in the 60s. But then also young people when they are in their early 20s. Um, and I think uh, Jean-Pierre Leaud's performance is incredible in this film. It, it's it, like when it first started, I'm like, oh, sweet, there he is. There, there's lovable, charming, coolly, ca calmly confident Antoine Duanel up on the screen again for us. But instead, he he gets more his his defenses are down. And I mean, in that first scene, what we see him do is like throughout the film is in that opening scene in the cafe, he flips a cigarette up into his mouth and it catches perfect and he lights it. And you're like, yep, here we are. Confident, calm, cool. He, he looks like, you know, the French version of Fonz almost. And then as the film goes on, we repeatedly see him attempt to do that trick again, flick the, flip the cigarette up into his mouth. And he never does it again. He's never able to nail it like he did in that first try. And Goddard makes sure to show us this every time, how it's fumbling and fumbling and awkward, and it causes... You see him get really tense with it until the point of he just has to put the cigarette into his mouth. Like, no, just like a regular person. I'm not going to try and do this flip and this trick anymore. So basically, like, how I'm reading all of that, and basically then the whole movie as well, is that Goddard is examining that awkward transition that youths find themselves in at that time in their life. Basically, they, they've been told that they're adults, that, you know, you're, you're in your early 20s, you, you're a member of society, you're paying rent, you work, you've got all these things, but at the same time, you're not aware of who you are as a 
person yet. You haven't really... I mean, that that kind of sounds like I'm being a bit, you know, derisive and, you know, condescending to young people. But I, I really don't mean to be. But it is that thing of you're still finding yourself. You're figuring out who you are and what type of adult you're going to be. And he's trying to capture that awkwardness, especially like, you know, it's that time where you, you want to be, you're a grown up, you're an adult person, but at the same time, you still have that youthful exuberance to rebel against society. Um, you know, and that's throughout the film, the, that's all they want to do is these young men, they want to rebel, they want to start at the revolution, they're, the, they're pro-communist, anti-Vietnam, they have this, you know, this power, this fire inside of them that they just kind of don't know how to get it out and how it comes out is kind of awkward and funnily, <laughs> if that makes sense. And I guess that's also, you know, all that pent up kind of energy and not knowing kind of where to, where to push it out towards is really kind of also represented in the film itself and the way that Goddard's put it together. The jittery nature of all the vignettes and how he's kind of stapled them together through these hard cuts and transitions, uh, using a lot of text up on the screen, um, multiple voiceovers from different people, as well as no consistent narrator, as well as a lot of B-roll footage of the streets of Paris, which I, I wonder if that's kind of him really hammering home the point of like time and place. Um, it, it seems to kind of bombard the audience into noticing that the, that this is a, the, all of these little vignettes are kind of small, small events, um, which I really view as kind of similar to memory itself. Like when you look back on your youth, you don't really have a fully painted picture. You just have these little snapshots. And that's what I think Goddard's trying to attempt with this is he's creating the idea of memory and youth and these little snapshot moments that are kind of jittery, like stapled together to create the idea of what youth is. And I think that's kind of also really helps like that idea of the, the youthful exuberance and the kind of unsure and anxiousness. It really comes through in with the scripting as well. Um, so Goddard didn't actually write a script for this film. Um, basically what happened was he had his little spiral notebooks and things and wrote down the ideas for scenes and then uh, would the night before sit with the actors. It really sounds like kind of very similar to what Mike Lee was doing with his films, but he would sit down and they would construct the scenes based on actual conversation and working with the actors and basically what what you want, what what they all wanted out of the scenes. And that's also similar with the the documentary interview stuff in the film. Like, he, none of that was scripted at all. It's just him sitting there with, with these young actors. And, you know, a lot of the time as well, some of them weren't actually really actors. They were just young people that were kind of in this circle. But I think that, re like, that just makes it all the more important and get to the point of what he's trying to do with this film, where it is, like I keep saying, presenting that image and that idea of youth. And uh, when you're constructing something like that is examining and discussing youth, why not do just that and have them, it allows the young people to actually speak directly for themselves. Um, although I didn't feel the way that he conducted a lot of the interviews and how he, the way he put them together in the final film, it, it kind of presented a little bit smugly to me. Um, he kind of came across a little bit condescending, if that... Makes sense. Uh, it almost felt like, you know, the, the way he was bombarding them with questions, especially that uh, the Miss 19 on the topics that were clearly um, 
that they were uncomfortable with, uh, unwilling to kind of really discuss or just weren't that knowledgeable on. But all of that being said, that's that's what youth is. It's it's you sitting there waxing rhapsodically about shit that you don't actually know. So at the same in the same breath as like, oh, I found that uncomfortable. It's like, yeah, that's the that's the point. That is that's what he's doing. It 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 made it really interesting to me. <laughs> and I guess the other thing that I found really interesting as well was the that you know, reflecting and again that youthful energy, drawing back to that, it's the way that several of these vignettes kind of end with these oddly sharp jabs of violence. Um, I mean, in the opening scene, the, there's the woman who shoots the man in the cafe, um, the pinball player who ends up stabbing himself, and, spoiler alert, Paul dying off screen at the end, and it's, you know, the police investigation as to what happened. I wonder if that's Goddard focusing in on another aspect of youth, that, that, that passionate side. Um, everything moves in extremes when you're young, so why not have these vignettes end in extremes? J- just, just a thought, I guess. I don't know. Kind of rambling here, but... It, it's a tough one to kind of really nail down, like most of Goddard's films. Like, it, it's just presenting ideas in a... And in this one in particular, in a very kind of shapeless manner. He's just... Which is why I keep hearkening back to that idea of it's just youth and it's that youthful energy and exuberance and that anxiety and that awkwardness. It's it's a mood piece of a film. There's no actual strict narrative to it. He's just trying to encapsulate a time and place and a mood of what youth is at this time and what and then now looking back on it, you know, 50, 60 years later, you're like, oh, it's giving me an idea of what I was like as a kid as well. It's allowing me to kind of look back on... I realize I said 50-60, I was meaning the date, but I meant to say... You know what I mean. It makes me look back on my youth and kind of, you know, compare and contrast and be able to kind of relate to the characters in that way. Um, Otherwise, like, it's... We're going to have a shortish discussion, I mean, (laughs) because it's got hard. But I mean, as I, I just kind of want to circle back to the Adrian Martin essay because I think he had something that really sums up the film nicely and helped me kind of really connect, like un- not connect with it necessarily, but understand what it was and what what I think Goddard was going for with it. Where he says, aesthetically masculine feminine can easily seem like one of Goddard's more casual efforts, a collection of fragments, notes, improvisations. Looked at closely, it coheres into a tight pattern that is surprisingly classical and balanced. Although Goddard plays fast and loose with with the on-screen numbering of the 15 precise facts of the story, the film nonetheless scrupulously alternates, extending tableau scenes with transitional flurries and an intimate personal story with explosive intrusions of violence. I mean, he just hits the nail on the head there of trying to break down what this film is um i don't necessarily agree with the idea of it being as classically balanced as he he might consider it but it it really does after sitting with it for a couple of days i understand what it's doing and what it's saying and and i appreciate that um it didn't the, the playing with form and structure as well as especially since i'm a big fan of abbas kiristami films I appreciated that, and it wasn't, you know, to jump back to Tout Va Bien, it wasn't a tracking shot across us back and forth over a grocery store for 15 minutes. 
<laughs> like some of Goddard's other kind of works that I find oddly impenetrable. This one, while I was watching it, I wasn't necessarily entertained. I, I was able to kind of, it sits with me and you're able to kind of enjoy it, you know, at, at the end, I guess. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I've shouted out as well Jean-Pierre Leod's performance. Amazing. Um, in terms of editing, cinematography, music, there wasn't anything really that kind of jumped out to me. I mean, it's, it's, it's made, it was made with a crew of about six people, I believe. It really was a run and gun little kind of, you know, scrappy film for Godard. But, um, all of that being said, it, it looks great. Um, especially given that small budget and that small crew kind of just, winging it to create something interesting. Uh, that's very admirable. But uh, the film went on to win the Silver Bear for Best Actor at the 1966 Berlin Film Festival, along with the uh, the Youth Film Award and an honorable mention for the Interfilm Award. Uh, it was also listed as one of the top 10 films of 1966 by Cahe du Cinema. Um, some other trivia. Uh, due to the portrayal of youth and sex, the film was prohibited to persons under 18 in France, which, quote, the very audience it was meant for, griped Godard. Uh, the film was made without a shooting script. The writing consisted of, consisted of a summary of the main sequences, yada, 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 which I had already discussed. Uh, yeah, they didn't actually use any lights as well. It was purely filmed off natural light and the light that existed in the environment. Um, another kind of running and gunning thing. Uh, while the while filming the cinema scene, the actors had to react to a blank screen as if they were watching a movie. Chantal Goya asked Jean, uh, Jean-Luc Godard what film they were meant to be watching, and he remarked, Gone with the Wind. As such, Goya played it as if she was watching an epic romantic movie. Only after the fact did Goya learn that the film her character was watching was in fact a pseudo-pornographic arthouse movie. Uh, and again, uh, ending up on my favorite, uh, bit of trivia that I managed to find, uh, the film was shot in Sweden, uh, Ingmar Bergman, not being a fan of Goddard's, found out about the film, went to go see it, and called it, quote, a classic case of Goddard's mind-numbingly boring. <laughs> so, um, whenever I hear Ingmar Bergman trashing Goddard, it makes me feel a little bit better for not liking all of his films, so I, I appreciate that. Um, but before we wrap up this episode, uh, I think it's about time that we find out what someone else thinks this film is about. Sneeze. No, I'm not going to sneeze. No, it didn't come? It didn't come. All right. Well, Claire, it's about time again for Claire's... Movie? No. What's that movie about? (laughs) It starts with movie (laughs) this time. That is lovely. Uh, So, your film this week, you got to tell me, what, what is Masculine Feminine from 1966 about? And there's, there's the Criterion cover for you. Is it in French? Yes. Okay. Masculine, feminine. Hmm. Well, Jean-Luc Godard. I don't think that they're very interesting films that he makes, is it? Or is he make, does he make interesting? In- I interesting? mean, I'm not the biggest um, fan. Okay, hold on. So, it's set at a university somewhere in France. 
and it's a bunch of intellectuals doing like not women's studies but like both of them. Yeah, so like women's studies classes and other whatever the men's studies version is. I don't know. Not that they're important. but um, <laughs> and I was going to make a joke, but I'm like, nah, not worth it. <laughs> and um, like that, just that they're all other studies. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Um, and they have deep philosophical debates about um, gender's role in society while like smoking pot and stuff just in their dorm rooms or whatever universities like there so you think it's just a dry conversational it's a conversational piece yeah is there really anything that they get from it no is it kind of that they leave it just you know that's the way it was yeah that's it it's just like a a snapshot of what young people think gender was in 1960 something you i mean the the university and the, the women's studies stuff aside, what you got on at the end there is pretty much it. Okay. <laughs> like the idea, or oh, that's my read on it at least. Were they is smoking the, pot? No, there oh. was no pot. Um, oh. But yeah, it's, <laughs> oh, throughout the film they're referred to as the kids of Marx and Coca-Cola. Oh. And so, yeah, like the examination of, of youth and interrelationships of youth in the mm-hmm. 60s, so... You, you kind of nailed it. Just had the wrong setting. Yeah. And the wrong characters and the wrong ideas. And you thought it was German. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, just finishing up this little episode here, uh, tagline time. Um, I mean, the initial one that I thought of um, while I was watching the film, it's just the little playful masculine, feminine, let's call the whole thing off. You know, playing on the tomato, tomato song. Uh, otherwise, the only other one I could kind of come up with uh, at the moment was Youth in Revolt. I mean, I wanted to try and come up with something playing off of the, you know, Marx, Coca-Cola, James Bond, Vietnam. I mean, shit, there's one right there. <laughs> Marx, Coca-Cola, James Bond, Vietnam, masculine, feminine. Um, but we'll actually get into the Criterion edition itself. Uh, it's both still in print on Blu-ray and DVD, as well as being available on the Criterion channel. But uh, it comes with uh, an interview from 1966 with actor Chantel Goya, interviews from 2004 and 2005 with Goya, Courant, and Jean-Luc Godard collaborator Jean-Pierre Gorin, discussion of the film from 2004 between critics Freddy Bausch, Bausch? Bausch? I don't know. Uh, and Dominic Paini. Paini? Yep. Some tough words to, to pronounce on this one. Uh, footage from Swedish television of Goddard directing the film within the film scene, trailers, as well as the usual booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. Uh, yeah, so I guess, you know, I, I tried my best with a solo Goddard, but as I said, I didn't want to rope anyone into trying to do this one with me. Um, you know, I, I'd written down some thoughts beforehand. I hope I managed to get them across. <laughs> it's tough not doing this one as a discussion, I guess, but in the meantime, uh, thank you all for listening. Um, st- as usual, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. Um, follow me on Letterboxd, on Twitter, on Instagram. All that shit's in the in the episode notes, as usual. But we won't be back in a fortnight's time with uh, Ugetsu. 
Uh, instead, uh, we're going to be doing the weekly film festival episodes, breaking down some of the cool stuff we're seeing there. Uh, otherwise, we're getting ready to drop another Patreon episode. If you head over to the patreon.com slash the Criterion Quest uh, and support the show over there, we're getting together and Lee and I are going to see Top Gun Maverick. Um, because I am confounded by that film in the sense of it is really great, and I don't know if I'm insane for thinking that or not. (laughs) So we're going to sit down with Lee and maybe a special guest or two, having seen it just for fresh eyes, uh, with fresh eyes, sorry, and uh, discussing, is Top Gun Maverick really that good? Uh, Or am I a crazy person? Um, but, uh, yeah, like I said, head, head over to the Patreon to have a listen to that. Well, that'll be dropping on the 1st of August. Otherwise, we'll be back in a couple of days, I guess, with the first of the festival episodes. But again, thank you for listening and uh, bearing with me here as I ranted and raved like a lunatic by myself about uh, Jean-Luc Godard's masculine feminine. Uh, but for this week's episode, I'm Chris, and I will see you next time. Implorant l'existence qu'un jour tu comprendras Et pour ma délire